Hi, welcome. Hello, my name is Damon. Thanks for tuning in to our first podcast, Traveling Sounds, uh, recordings from the Blueberry Lounge, uh, traveling studio for artists of all kinds. Tonight we're highlighting John Griffin. He is a wordsmith. Yeah, crazy how the days go. I was out playing some music um, on the streets today and a car pulls over and he plays a little song for me and starts reading some poetry. And so he invites me over to his house to show me some of his collection. And he's selected a few pieces of for us tonight. So welcome John Griffin and enjoy the show. I'm John Griffin. What are we doing today? We're doing a little, uh, just, it's like a, I write. I'm a writer, so that's what I do is I write. And, and this is just a little something that I wrote that uh, um, a friend of mine thought was interesting and thought we might be able to share it with some people and, uh, you know, just hope for the best. So I'm a sheetrocker, right? I mean, we kind of talked about that a little bit, right? Yeah. And so sometimes people look at you like you're a sheetrocker, like you're, you know, you're, you're dumber than a box of mud. You know, you're just, <laughs> what does this sheetrocker know, right? Right. But when it comes to poetry, the fact that I was a sheetrocker said volumes about my intellect. Why would anybody subject themselves to the likes of mud and dust if they didn't have to? <laughs> they surmised that I wouldn't, and not only do they surmise, they use conjecture to conclude with an attitude of self-righteousness and little regard for the ethical duties to a client. But no ordinary client, as they soon would learn, but an extraordinary client, as those tables would turn. And cactistocracy is not so easy to pronounce, much easier to announce when it comes to fruition and the nature of my mission. I got caught in a web of deception, but I shook that web very hard. But even now, I contemplate and there in reflection commiserate the nature of my flaws. The laws were cause for pause and clause to ruminate, and I did. I took my notions with me to a law library to see what is at stake with my take on litigation in this capitalistic nation. The rosette of stones set the tone for my conflict, but I was lost beyond the mitigation in the face of litigation to confound me. I am met with importune discourse amid the base of subterfuge on a road less traveled in a war of words. Lexical skills are used to confound me and language presents a conundrum that asks me if I have what it takes to battle with intellectual wit. The gauntlet is set by the intelligency of my peers, where I'm beset with the reality of my fears, where beyond the salt in my tears are the years in a life to contend with this strife. But along the way, my own counsel tends to see me as footless, lacking a foundation. And as a result, they took a path that they themselves would later question, as subtle notions are presented to me as fact without basis to confirm. And when I refuted what was ill-gotten and demoralizing to a man of my intellect, they never saw it coming. And when I hark back in these instances, I am reminded of human nature to pick on the weak, no matter who it is. But in light of this, they soon learned that I was in no way pedantic and quite possibly saw themselves as a dreadnought compared to the likes of me. The mind is not easy to figure out. And the fact that it was a sheetrocker said volumes about my intellect. And I don't think it qualifies as baptism of fire, but it did spur desire to be free of the mire where Jabberwocky teams have put the jub-jub bird in the elusive bandersnatch, a place where predilection paved the way to roadblocks that perplexed me to a high degree. I didn't want to grapple with the terms of a mind game any longer. The rules were there to make me fail where no avail takes the wind from my sails and leaves me flat broke. But from words spoken and the terms are broken, beyond Hoboken, 
I was choking on the lies. The types of thing one decries when the truth opens their eyes to injustice. Hence my war of words, Mr. President, and my gift of literature, John Griffith style, to this world. But when this struggle is over, the newest of my struggles will present themselves, and just like you and yours and all the other things that live here on the planet, rot in the galaxy of chaos with theirs. The struggle to exist is universal, and what is just in the eyes of ethical higher ground, I propound transcends borders on this tiny floating sphere right here in this space of time. And so you can see with that that I like to rhyme. <laughs> yeah, I definitely never for more so ponder what a sheet robber is thinking as they're laying up sheet rock. Because <laughs> you never know. You never know, right? You don't know. You don't know what's going on in someone's mind. And so so to to look at somebody and go Oh, well, this person's this or this person's that. We never know because they're anything that they are open to. Right? Yeah. Yeah. And that's important. Yeah. You know, because we're all very, very incredible, you know, and that's, and if we take note of that, then that makes us incredible for, for realizing that. Right? right. You know, so, um, but, but, but I've done sheetrock now for so long that I'm tired, sir. So in my spare time, I like to try learning how to play music. I've never realized how much work it would be until I got into it. Then I realized how terrible I was. I was too stubborn to quit, though. So I began to study how music works. And one day, I sat down with a tablet of paper and wrote myself a note that went something like this. November 2nd, 2019. The journey. The journey. The musical journey is filled with ruts and potholes. Each step forward is further complicated by the language that is only somewhat bound by the rules, which are constantly presented in terms of what I am told are music theory. And without a teacher, the instructions are interpreted by the student of an art that goes beyond what the norm entails. Ergo, he reaches for something he may never touch and may possibly never find. But to venture not is worse than never seeing what a path may offer, for the path of least resistance is seldom the way of enlightenment on any level. So here I go again, searching for the way forward, clawing at the mountain of material, and knowing that it won't be any easier than the last time. I sit down to watch the videos that reinforce parts of what I already know, and I find it mundane. The exercises are always trying my patience, and it tests my resolve to overcome the quandaries of my mission. But to find my very best, I have to go beyond what lies on the surface to embrace the brink of an imagination, a place where innovation is born by the rules that govern creation at any level. Here I go. And I don't know if it helps. I have always struggled with curriculum so it would seem to make sense that I would struggle with my own assignments. And writing is no exception. To write is natural for me. It is a form of therapy, a way to look at life from a different medium, as thought pours out onto a page. They say that a good writer needs to be a good reader. I struggle with this. It's like I have a condition in which I lose track of a thought in mid-sentence. I'll read a paragraph and struggle to recall any of it. 
But what is odd about this is that I have great recollection. Reciting one's own work is at times a sign of what one is capable of if they give themselves a chance. Given a chance, some people can only wish. Life isn't always fair. The people have given President Trump a chance, and the people will decide if he has risen to the occasion in November, tomorrow, as a matter of fact. I'd like to hope that some good has come of his work. I'm optimistic. I can see that in his mind it was important to stand up to people who didn't have his best interests going forward. And he has been called many things, but to be fair, they threw dirt at Mr. Obama every chance they got. That is the nature of the political divide. There are mean people on the other side. But what it looks like on the surface is not always the case. Sometimes there's a bit of acting that goes on. The ruse becomes the muse with manipulation. Yes, yes it does. And every time we turn around, as a matter of fact, if I can't trust my own counsel to be honest and forthright with the facts, or my military captain of a spouse or her commanding officers, who can I trust? What difference does it make to writers of stories if public figures are denying their responsibility for their own actions? So what if they are, in effect, refusing to tell their own stories accurately? So what if the President of the United States is making himself out to be, of all things, a victim? Well, to make an obvious point, they create a climate in which social narratives are designed to be deliberately incoherent and misleading. Such narratives humiliate the act of storytelling. Written by Charles Baxter and published in The Best Writing on Writing in 1995, and he goes on to say, in our time, responsibility within narratives has been consistently displaced by its enigmatic counterpart, conspiracy. Conspiracy works in tandem with narrative repression, the repression of who has done what. It almost sounds like Charles Baxter was writing about the year 2020, like hindsight was this perfect vision of what the future would entail. It sort of nailed it on the head, so to speak, just like the pandemic took a page out of the past and made it relevant once more. Relevant to the letter are the words they spell or the story itself or the stories they tell. I hope that we can find the health of a planet out in space relevant. I hope that we can find the rights of a human, no matter who they are, may be relevant. I hope that we can make health care for everyone relevant. I hope that the truth can come back from the quagmire of a boondoggle to become relevant. I hope that the American prison system can be known for more than just cruelty and recidivism and be relevant in making the transition from a jail sentence to being a productive member of society the norm and no longer the exception to the rule. I hope we can once again move away from using landmines that blow up children's dreams and shatter parents' expectations. I hope that we can set the bar and let the world see how far we need to go to restore the balance of a fragile world. I hope what is relevant can change the world for the better. Sincerely, John Griffin.
an American sheep rocker. How many, how many hours do you think you spend with pen and paper a day or a week? It varies, right? Because sometimes it's, um, you know, there's, depends on what I'm writing about, depends on what frame of mind I'm in. Because if I'm in this frame of mind where I need to get stuff out, then it could be 20 pages in a day, right? That's, that's a good day of writing is 20 pages, you know. But some days, you know, it's, it's not even a page. Some days it's nothing, right? You don't write. But then right. there's other days when, when you write. But um, I've been writing for about 10 years now, and I, I've probably written about, you know, I would say over 10,000 pages. Yeah, look like it from I mean, those books you showed me were yeah and uh, I enjoy the process of writing and and I tried to educate myself going forward because I'm I'm a I'm a three times straight F student right yeah you know in, in my junior year of high school I flunked so I had to you know go to be a fifth year senior and then I had to go to summer school to to get through high school and then my First attempt at college, I went to one class once, one class twice, and one class three times. And so, <laughs> you know, that was another straight up, right. you know, semester. And then when I went to Humboldt State, I uh, went to one class and they asked me to read the book 1984. And I, I thought about it and I was doing drywall during the day and football practice and then school at night. And, and I go, you know what? I'm not going to read that book. And, and you know what else? I'm never going back to that class, and and furthermore, I'm not going to any of my classes ever again. So I just did drywall. I played football for the rest of the semester, and and that was my, you know, that's that's how I left Humboldt State University, and 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 so that goes to show you that even without an education, you can write some pretty yeah. some pretty good stuff, right? If you put your mind to it, and the education is not not from a building or a university, the education is life. Right. You know, and so you have to have an open mind to understanding that every day is a chance for you to be educated. Yeah. You know, and we do that by closing our mouths and listening. Yes. So. Well, that was one of the things that struck me was as someone who was, considers myself a low comprehension reader, um, and the projections of someone that doesn't have much retention as their workings of the brain and memory and literacy. And then here you are with a poetry level that, you know, is very dynamic, is very, very engaged, very produced. Um, it's just a cool dichotomy to think about, you know, because I know we get put in bubbles and boxes as good readers, bad readers. Um, you know, I can never remember a, a book that well, but a movie, I can quote the whole movie, but the reading thing, retention was always an interesting one for me, but. Yeah, I, I struggle with it a lot. I, I, I read, a, you know, sometimes I'll read the sentence, I'll be like, what did that say? And so I have to go back and I'll read it again and I'll read it again. And, and uh, well, I, I found myself in a law library and I found myself reading law. Okay. And so at some point you're reading the law and there's this, um, uh, 
the way they write is they equivocate you right you know they write this weird language and it's just like um, with the prolix nature of how laws are written it is paramount to understand how lucidity is born of the muddled words of one gifted with lexical skills and once you start tearing that sentence apart and you understand what I'm talking about, each sentence becomes a puzzle to solve and each puzzle can be seen in a different light or what is this can mean that and something else in just the right circumstance. Right? Right. But that's easy for me to say <laughs> and much harder for me to understand until I sit down and start looking at it and try to dissect it, right? Right. And that's what I'm good at. You know, and I'm, I'm pretty good at going into some place and, and understanding if I'm being duped or not. Right. You know, they're trying to pull the wool over my eyes, and, and a lot of times they are, but when they look me in the face, they go, yeah, he knows. He gets it. He's not like the rest of these people. Right. You know, he knows that I'm here, and I'm, I'm bamboozling him, right? <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. So, but it's, it's fun to be that guy, but you know, it's just like, I, I just, now I'm at a point in my life where my career is kind of winding down with the sheetrock. I'm still, I'd like to still believe that I'm, I'm pretty healthy, right? But, but at the same time, I have, uh, I have some health issues. I'm, I thought I was 57, turns out I'm only 55, and it's just like, that makes it even worse, you know? But I have a pericardial effusion, and I think I'm suffering from hydrocephalus right you know and so and and that's just to go with the skin condition but this is just life and this is the struggle of living it and right. and the fact that you know i see this guy with a banjo today and he's got a sign and i'm just like going you know i wonder what this guy's trip is and that's you and i'm talking to you right now and here it is we're doing this podcast you know a couple hours later we set it up and here it is and i think it's a wonderful thing yeah. you know and and uh um, you know, I know for one thing that I am going to be doing this for a long time, right? Just putting my work out there because I, I think it's special, Yes. you know, but we have to give ourselves credit for being special before we can understand that our work is special regardless of, of if it's just our mother putting it up on the fridge. Because if my mother was here, she would love to hear what I have to say and what I have to play, right? Uh -huh, sure. You know, and so, and, and so I'm doing this for my mother. You know, I want to honor my mother and my father. They're not here. So I have to do it for the rest of my life. Yeah. You know, and, and when I'm honoring my mother and my father, does that mean my father my heaven, in heaven and my mother earth? Well, of course it does. Because if I can honor that, then my mom and dad are going to be really, really happy. You know? Yeah. And that's a beautiful place if we can get to that place in our lives. You know? So, that's good stuff. Yeah, that's good stuff. Yeah. Hey, you say you kind of got into it <clears throat> 10 years ago. Um, did you have an outlet before? Did work slow down? Did existential life happen that kind of made putting pen to the paper more important or what do you think was the shift that made this so abundant in your life or create the space to what happened was I got married and <clears throat> so 
this woman came into my life and I wasn't sure if I wanted to get married and I called, you know, we were going to get married and I called everything off and, and then we didn't get married. But then a couple years later, we got back together and we got married, right? And so in eight years, we lived together twice for three months. And she joined the military and uh, in the military, I moved out to Texas and uh, I had just gotten there and that's when I discovered that she was having an affair with her commanding officer, a woman in the military, right? And uh, for the sake of being a writer, I would call her Ginger Waters. My prudence was sleeping with Ginger Waters, right? <laughs> you know, and, and this was over in Laredo, you know, and I was living in Stambu because I change all the names. That's what I do, right? Uh -huh. I no longer live on Earth, I live on the planet Rawhead in the Galaxy of Chaos in Rock Point County in the state of Stambu, where the Crystal River flows into the oceanic waters, gently lapping at these shores of Stambu, right? Yes. You know, and it's it's a beautiful, beautiful place. And um, but anyway, what had happened was she was playing with my mind, and then she had another affair with a high school sweetheart, and. Uh, you know, and, and his wife was at home dying of cancer and, and she was, you know, and, and she was dying of cancer and, and she had a couple kids, he had a kid and, and, and he's also an elected official in Ohio and an officer in the military, right? And so there's this gnarly thing that comes up, right? And so then we get ready to go to get divorced and, and it was just like she couldn't quit picking on me. She couldn't quit. And I'd caught shingles once already, you know, and, and the second time I caught the shingles, I was sitting on the edge of the bed and I'm just like, why am I so damn sick? And, and this was after I fired my first lawyer and fired my second lawyer and acted as my own attorney in my divorce trial. And that was when I went into the law library and started okay. opening up my mind to, to what was going on. And, and that was before I went into courts of law and started watching trials and, and trying to figure out what goes on in a court of law, you know? And so I paid attention and I, and I, and I sat in there with a notebook writing as fast as I could and, um, and, and studying some of the jurisprudence, you know, the California jurisprudence. And I would get in there and I would, I would go, okay, well, what are these people guilty of in my eyes? Because that's all it is. You're, it's, it's your opinion. Right? It's their opinion that you're guilty. It's my opinion they're guilty. Right? Yeah. So how do I find that out? Well, I find the law that they broke in and I try and understand the law so that I can come back and say, hey, you broke the law, bro. You know? And then, um, so eventually I start commanding, contacting her commanding officers. And that's when they came after me, tried to uh, put a restraining order on me. And so they um, <clears throat> ended up getting me back in the courtroom and they asked me some questions and they said, well, what do you feel about this restraining order? And I said, well, my wife had an affair with this guy, this gal and this guy. And, and the judge goes, we're not here to talk about that, Mr. Griffin. We're here to talk about the restraining order. And it was just like they popped my bubble, right? And it was just like all the wind was out of my sails. And I was just like going, holy shit, what's up? You know, I'm going to lose this thing. Right. And so... Um, 
her lawyer goes, yes, he's just angry because of the judge's decision and he just can't handle the truth and, and he has no reason to contact her commanding officers and, and, you know, and this is this. And so the judge goes, do you have anything you want to add, Mr. Griffin? And I, I go, yes, I do. And I took a deep breath and I go, if I'm stopped here today, Your Honor, I can't fight for justice. And if I can't fight for justice, I can't make sure that this doesn't happen to anybody else. And I just don't want to see this happen to anybody else, Your Honor. And if Mr. Crosby Crookson has anything that claims that I'm lying to, I'm prepared to dispute that right now in this court of law. And I pointed to my box, my case, right? And the judge said, the restraining order is denied. Mr. Griffin has the right to freedom of speech. And it was just like I won the Super Bowl. <laughs> it was just because my first lawyer was there in the audience, right? And my second lawyer was there in the audience, and I'm fighting her lawyer tooth and nail, right? And then I got the judge, and the judge is like, <laughs> Mr. Griffin, can I tell you a story? Please. John sits, at his, sits in his office writing in a notebook. And as the sun begins to rise, he squints and looks out his window to the east toward the Redmond Trail. He'd walked down the trail many times carrying his book bag with some lunch. It was all part of trying to find the story. And he never had a clue what the story would be. But when it was just right, he knew it. His idea to change the names was paramount in his decision to know freedom and write the story of liberty's cause. The struggle to exist is only compounded by people who want nothing more than to see a person fail, where no avail takes the wind from their sails and renders their rudder utterly useless floating along in the aftermath of life's currents that ebb and flow, where danger lurks and all that is unseen is cause for consideration, then metaphor opens the door to an ocean of possibility where almost anything can happen. A fish lands in his boat. He can't see anymore because he's blind. His skin is burnt and his lips are chapped. Water's everywhere, but fresh water's hard to find. He reaches out blindly, searching for this fish he hears flopping around, trying to get back to the sea. All it wanted was to find normal once more. All of a sudden, he grabs a fish, he looks up to heaven, he says, Thank you, God! And he threw it over the side, back into the water. He knew that he was not long for this world, and that it was better that the fish could swim on home, a place that he longed for. And as the fish swam away, the man pulled out a piece of cloth and hid from the sun and thought about life. This boat he was in was for the whole world. They were all in the same boat. And like him, many were too blind to see what they were doing to destiny. All of what can be was on that ship at sea floating out in space in the galaxy of chaos. The planet Rawhead was little more than the figment of an imagination, a place where fiction is guided by the truth in human nature, and the world was theirs to do with what they wanted. But none of it mattered, because it wasn't real. It was a fictional account of what real looks like through a blind man's eyes. But he wasn't always blind. It was a time he could plainly see. But at this adolescent state, he knew nothing of utter disregard for the facts. Fake news was never spoken of, so it was like it never happened. But then one day, want outweighs need where he begins to learn of greed, where he plants that seed that grows and nobody knows his twisted plan. The boy becomes a man. A place where good lives with bad and happy with sad and nice is never mad and bitching is rad and caught is had. In the terms of division, that vision of what lies in the test like the quandaries to a quest to know tomorrow. But in reality, we can never even know today. And in that struggle to understand, 
We may in the end fail to fathom ourselves, much less anybody else. The whole of it is baffling, subject to interpretation, and in that case, many things get lost in translation on the planet Rawhat in the galaxy of chaos. <laughs> Oh, that's good. That's so good. So much fun that you have with it. Well, thank you yeah. for coming over and giving me the opportunity oh, to yeah. share this with some people. You Thanks know. for pulling over on the side of the road, you know, just try to roll with it. You never know where you end up at the end of the day. No, you don't. And and who would have thunk it, right? <laughs> who would have thunk it? Not 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 even close, right? <laughs> Yeah. Right, you got anything for any uh, young writers out there? Anyone, anyone thinking about writing or doing Sure. Anything? Yeah, I do. I do. Like if if you're doing writing poetry, yeah. The the best way to write poetry is to change your mind, and the best way to change your mind is to allow the opportunity to change. And so, the 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 best way to do that is to get something on your mind, a sentence, right, and write the sentence. And then when you're done writing the sentence, go back and read the sentence. And then write a second sentence. And when you're done writing the second sentence, go back and read the first and second sentences. And then write a third sentence. And then read those three sentences and then write a fourth sentence. And then continue on until your, your, your piece of poetry will finally reach a, an aha moment and you'll be like, going, ah, there it is. And that's, that's how you do it because each time you stop and you go back, you give your mind time to change, Got right? It. And that's how you, you, you can, you know, go into these different, you know, train of thoughts, right? Yeah, these train of thoughts. So... How are we doing for time? What, what, what okay, we that was 30 minutes on the dot at 29 right there, so that's like perfect. Is that good? Yeah. Well, you got I, anything else you want to I can do you yeah, talk I, about or read about, but that's a great... I can introduce you to a couple characters. Yeah. Okay, so a lot of stuff happens in this office of John's, right? So John lists, is sitting in his office listening to the rain bounce off the skylights. A drop of water falls out of the skylight onto the tile floor. He looks at it and wonders if the skylight has sprung a leak. But there was no leak. It was the condensation that had formed because his pot of 16 bean soup had been boiling on the stove for hours and the ham hock was falling apart as the meat fell off the bone. The voices in his head were back at it, discussing roles to be played with portraits of madness, insanity strain, and in-depth analysis. It wasn't new and it wasn't just McGriff and Heavy G either. There were others who were bonafide by a label and little else. And although it may sound strange, it was actually what most minds go through. There would be this train of thought, and all day long the train would pull into the station with some new idea to mull over. You still mad at me, crime dog? I never said I was mad at you, Heavy G. I was just in my quiet place wondering what you're going to dig up out of my anthology. I'm actually looking forward to this little project of ours. I hope it takes us all over the place in this space I call the galaxy of chaos. Yeah, well I was gonna talk to you about that crime dog. You think that people can relate to this galaxy of chaos of yours? It might just be a little too much for the average reader. Let me tell you something, Heavy G. This shit's gonna be way too deep for the average reader. 
as far as my setting is concerned, I like it the way it is. Why is that crime, dog? I'll tell you why. Because Judge Muckraker said that I had the right to freedom of speech, and that may be true, but I still wanted to protect my rights to privacy without giving up my rights to being heard. And that alone was the driving force behind the planet Rawhead, the galaxy of chaos. And the fact that I live in Rock Point County, the state of Stambu, didn't hurt either. All right then, crime dog. I guess we'd better carry on. And Mr. Griffin put his pen down and went into the kitchen and served himself up a hot bowl of 16 bean soup. <laughs> Do you have any um, thoughts of doing like a novel? I mean, with characters and so much... I do, you know, for me it would be anti-novel. Okay, and what is that? Completely anti, it would just be a book of, of letters, short stories, okay, poetry, gotcha. and it would have characters in it that come and go, right? And so it would, it would meld in and out of reality, right? Because it would just be letters that are true and, and written to real people, but, but at the same time, then, then you come back out of that and, and then you end up in the mind of Mr. Griffin where a, a heavy G and a crime dog can exist, yeah. right? And, yeah. and that, to me, is the, okay. ult, the ultimate in, in storytelling for me because, I, like I say, I start reading a book, I can't, I, I get lost in a paragraph and I'm like, what the hell is this about, right? So it's better for me if it's like flipping channels on a TV set. Okay. So that's what I want the book to be like. It's just like flipping a channel on a TV set where you're, you're into something, you're like, going, okay, I got this. And then, and then next thing you know, you flip the channel and you're like, going, oh, this is good. And then you get to this next channel and you're like, going, damn it. <laughs> what the hell's going on here? You know, and yeah. so, and, and that to me would just be special, uh -huh. right? And, and if it can say something and, and people can, you know, learn something or, or get into their own, you know, you know, gain some words from it, get a little bit into their own more, you know, literature some way, you know. I mean, because literature is just basically writing that makes you think, right? So literature can be almost anything. But to me, it, it seems like it should be more eloquently written. That would equal literature to me as something that's, you know, more Shakespearean type thing, something that's got, you know, a little bit of rhythm to it and a little bit of, of rhyme, you know? Right. And uh, so I enjoy that. So, and I appreciate this, you know? Ooh. Yeah. And, and it's it's been a good. This is, do do we call this a podcast? What yeah, is this is a. I'm mean, gonna be my kind of first full podcast at the moment. Uh huh. Um, I'm working towards just like kind of doing this, two to three kind of presentations of someone's artwork with a little bit of questioning. Mm hmm. And just yeah, that's, you know, that's something similar to what I'd like to do. It's just uh, you know, share my art and and then have artists on that share their art, yeah. you know, and, uh, you know, um, it's, art is a beautiful thing, you know, and I mean, that's, you know, an actor, that's an artist, you know, a mm -hmm. singer, that's an artist, yeah, you know, definitely. it's not just a, it's not just a painter or a writer, you right. know, and you can tell by the way I um, alliterate and the way I say my words that, you know, I've put a lot of work into some of these stories. Yeah. You know, and and out of all that I've said to you, I've only read just a little bit, right? <laughs> yeah. 
you right. know, and it's just like I can go on from here. And, and you know, at one point I had memorized um, about 29 minutes worth of my work. Wow. And right now I'm trying to work on memorizing a piece that's 11 pages long. And it's hard. And the hard part is that you're going over it and you're going over it and you're going over it. And then you want to go to sleep. <laughs> you know, and, and it's there and it's just like going, God, I don't want to remember that paragraph again, you know. But at some point, you have to um, retain it to long-term memory before it's there. And that takes a while. So it takes a few weeks sometimes. Yeah. You know? And, you know, the writing thing kind of came naturally to me. And, and I did go to a therapist. And I call him... Dr. Brooklyn Moorwater of Forestville in Stamboo. And, and <laughs> he knew right away that I wasn't like his other clients. I was fighting for liberty's sake and my take on fake justice. And as I read my stories to Dr. Moorwater, I didn't quite understand the power of a pen, but I knew the story of a man. And I sat down one day with a tablet of paper and something to say and began to write. That was almost 10 years ago now. And to be honest, it feels like none of it ever happened. And as crazy as it was, it had nothing on how crazy it would get. Turns out that my vision was a quest beyond the quandary of a test to know tomorrow. But I can never know tomorrow in a war of words. So I changed everybody's name and wrote poetry for a cause. Beyond the broken laws of clause and mitigation, fighting for my world and starting with this nation, I would call Zambezi. And that pretty much sums it up right there. This guy, this doctor, I went to him, tried to tell him what was going on in my mind, and I went there two or three times, and I'm like going, God, this is like beating my head against a door, you know what I mean? It's just like, I'm getting nowhere here. And so one day I went home, and I got out a tablet of paper, and I began to write. And that was, like I said, you know, in the story, it's, I'd say, seven years ago now, but it's been about ten years ago. Okay. And that's when I started writing, you know what I mean? And, and in that time... I've written about many, 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 many different things. I've taken a, a, a movie and turned it back into a book. I took a, a movie and turned it into a, a poem, right? Wow. Yeah. yeah. And so I've, uh, um, I've written about uh, an art show on the plaza, pastels on the plaza, right? I sat there and there's 230-something pieces of art and I stood there on a concrete slab for four days trying to think about what to write about one little piece of art and I'm just like going, damn, this hurts, you know? <laughs> it was painful, you know? And then I went into the Avenue of the Giants and I wrote about that and stood at every, every placard and I wrote it all down, you know? And so it just, to me, there was something satisfying about me trying to write, you know? And then, and then I wrote poetry to politics. I sent letters to elected officials, you wow. know? And so, yeah, and that wow. became, you know, well, I call it poetry to politics, yes. you know, and um, it's, uh, you don't, you know, you don't know if it has an effect in, until you see something and then you go, well, maybe, maybe, maybe that was me that, that caused them to do that, right? Maybe I was the one sending, you know, with the letters, the constant barrage of my folios, it's, you know, the importune discourse. Yeah. You know, maybe it got through to somebody or maybe they're like going, hey, maybe Griffin's on to something, you know, or, or, you know, sometimes they get a letter from me and they'll be like going, did you get the letter from Griffin? 
Right. <laughs> they'd be like, what'd your letter say? And they'd be like, that's not what my letter said. My letter said this. So they'd say, well, can we trade? Let me get your letter. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's, it is what it is, right? Yeah. I, I, you know what I call it as a war of words, right? And so when we use our words to fight for what we believe in, okay. it's, it's important to understand that, you know, the words, the words are powerful. Yeah. You know, and uh, so um, another tool in writing, poetry, literature, or anything like that, is the vocabulary list. And I came across a book called Write the Story by Piccadilly Press, right? And I found it at Target. And I go, oh, this is an interesting, interesting book, right? And then there's 200 pages in it, and there's, um, they give you just one little thing to write about, you know? And it's just like a, an odd request at a piano bar. And then they give you 10 words, right? And then they give you one page, and you write the story. Well, using those 10 words using within those ten, the story? Within, the, within that paragraph, okay. or within that page, yeah. right? And so, wow, cool. um, and three months later, I had written 190 stories. <laughs> you know, so, yeah, that's what I do, right? It's just like I get in there and I'm just like, okay, how to? At first, you don't even know if you can do it, but then next three months later, you only got ten stories left, and then you don't know if you can finish the last ten stories. You're like, well, can I finish the last ten? I don't know. Right. You know, why? Why didn't I do these earlier? You know, and so um, one of my favorite stories that I've ever written is called "Heroin Holiday" by Bad Medicine and the Night Owls. Okay. And so maybe I, I can uh, do another podcast with you sometime and maybe read that story yeah, to your audience. Definitely. Yeah, it's a it's a beautiful story of a, a man with a needle hanging out of his arm, you know, nice. which is sad. But if we look at addiction and, and we look at the way the, you know, the, the whole thing works, we go, well, shit, we've never been through this before. But if you look back in history... We had been through this before. At the turn of the 19th century, um, the, a bear was selling heroin out of uh, um, Sears and Roebuck catalogs, I do believe it was, and you could get a vial of heroin for $1.50 and it came with two syringes and came in a kit. Alright, well I had to stop right there and do a little googling to make sure what's going on and sure enough. Um, back in the 1860s, morphine was so used on the battlefield and was such a big thing that to get off of the addiction, John is completely correct that they were prescribing heroin and you could use your Sears catalog and receive a syringe with two needles and two vials of Bayer heroin. So. And so the reason that they sold the heroin in the kit like that was because they were trying to get people off of morphine, and the reason the people were doing the morphine was because of tuberculosis. Okay. Right? And so they had this horrendous cough, and so they were trying to get some relief from this stuff, and so it was medication, right? Right. And so, but they didn't, they failed to realize one thing, that the heroin turned to morphine in the bloodstream. <laughs> right? I didn't know none of this stuff, but once I wrote the story and then I did the research, I'm like going, oh, well, here it is, right? You know, so you write this damn story, three-part story, and then 
you, you, you put the, the history to it and it's just like, there you have it. Yeah. And we're all, we're all addicted to something. Yeah. To yeah. believe that we're not, I mean, that's, you're just not, you're not a human being if you're not, because we're just, we, we have habits. Yeah. And that, and habitual is addiction. So. All right. Well, that sounds awesome. Uh, definitely, um, you have a, you have a lot to get out. I think it's beautiful that you're getting it out, putting it down. I think you have a lot to teach. My brain works from the teacher's point of view, so, you know, I'm thinking of kids in classrooms and you helping them with their writing and to find kids with the passion that you have of just writing is in itself a beautiful gift and a beautiful talent. Um, and yeah, let's get back together and we'll do another story and promote this book once you get a book going. And, and if people want to get in touch with you or hear anything else of you, do you have any outlets or a, I'm a John, John Griffin on Facebook. Okay, how do you spell that? J-O-H-N-G-R-I-F-F-I-N in John Griffin in McKinleyville, California. Okay. Yeah, and so it's easy to find, and I, I, do, uh, I do videos on Friday, right? I just do a little video, and, and, and they're pretty, you know, it's, it's uh, unrefined, right? Okay. Is that live or an upload or a certain time? Oh, uh, well, I, I just try and do them on Friday. Just try to get them on Friday. Yeah, and so I'm, I'm going to try and do... Live, I, th I think it would be best to do it at a certain time to, to get an audience going at that certain time. So um, I would think like eight o'clock because you know why eight o'clock? Why? Because that's when Sanford and Son used to come on on Fridays when I was a little kid and you'd have to get up and change the channel and adjust the rabbit ears and sit back down, right? <laughs> you know, and that to me was important because that, that brings back memories of my family and my childhood, my mom and dad, and, and some of the great people that they brought into my life and. And if I can continue that for someone else, that's huge, you know. They might not have to get up and just their rabbit ears, but I would hope that, you know, maybe when they're going to get a beer or something, they could adjust something and pretend that it's the rabbit ears. Nice. Well, um, keep, me, keep me posted with that, how things go. I'm looking at doing a Friday night open mic live stream. Yeah. Um, just to... You know, see who I can gather up through the week and just get together and just kind of have some something going on on the Friday night. Mm -hmm. um, so maybe uh, I could use some of your videos in that. Or I'm trying to figure out how to like live stream other people's live streams. Okay. Um, yeah. And stuff like that. But yeah, it's all the beginning. The world's you know open to whatever we make of it. And so. All right. Awesome, I appreciate your time. Your no, no problem. Thank you, sir. Awesome, thank you. Yeah. All right, thanks for tuning in. Hope you guys enjoyed listening to John. Thanks, John, for sharing some of your delightful words, and we'll hope to see you again next time. If you guys want to keep in touch with John, that was J-O-H-N Griffin, G-R-I-F-F-I-N. Type in McKinleyville. That's M-C-K-I-N-L-E-Y-V-I-L-L-E. -L -L -E. Uh, John Griffin, McKinleyville, California, and he'll pop up on Facebook. And like you said, John's doing some some Friday evening readings around 8 o'clock. And we'll see you guys next time. Thanks for tuning in for Traveling Sound. Uh, we got you some blueberry jams coming up next time from the Blueberry Lounge. And this is, da this is Damon signing out.
And I think we got Paxton, a nice little local artist coming up next. Um, so stay tuned.